This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Hey everybody, it's the Civilized Barking Post-Draft Podcast. Zach Jackson and Jason Lloyd. Probably 48, I don't know, 67, I, I don't know. Even in a shortened draft, my brain turns to mush. Uh, anyway, we're going to talk draft, we're going to talk Browns. The schedule releases next week. Um... You know, Jason, frankly, the Browns were never going to hit home runs in this draft, and, and they knew that. They gave away this first-round pick more. Um, to me, it was they were never going to draft a player that was going to trump the storyline of Clowney or no Clowney, right? Um, I trust that the Browns know what they're doing. Their third-round track record has not been good, but, I, you know, I, I think they got good players. I think they did what they did for a reason, so – um, it's not any hot take express that we're jumping on here, right? The patience is required. You're looking at a team that I think is good, that it thinks it's really good, right? And there's just some things out there hanging out, like the suspension of the quarterback, like the clowny thing. And um, I understand the excitement, but you know everybody's got to take a deep breath because we're still months away from finding out how any of this really comes together. Yeah, I think if we would have said before the draft started, the Browns are going to take a cornerback with their first pick, probably would have surprised a lot of people. I don't know necessarily that if if you would have said the Browns are going to trade down, a lot of people probably would have said, yeah, okay, that sounds about right. But for a cornerback, uh, I, I think that caught some people by surprise. Uh, I, I do agree with you. I think this regime has earned the benefit of the doubt more so than probably some of the others that you have to trust they know what they're doing. Obviously, they like Martin Emerson quite a bit to turn around and trade Troy Hill with the year left on his deal. That just more or less cleared a spot for him, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, and and we'll see. You know, I mean, to me, <laughs> the most important pick was the kicker. And I know that's sort of a uh, uh, what's the word? It's it, it's a divided idea to to draft a kicker, particularly in the fourth round. I think he's going to make the, the most immediate impact though of anyone really in that draft class. Perrion Winfrey really fascinates me not only because he likes to bark to the local media and he's an absolute lunatic but he actually can play a little bit and I was watching some of his his uh highlight tapes after the draft and and boy can he move for a guy his size he's quick and agile and I, I to me he's a day one starter and you've got him in the fourth round there's so much to talk about there's so many ways to look at this uh the the the, you, I thought you asked Andrew a, a terrific question after the draft that I hadn't really thought of. He didn't really give a great answer. He said he didn't really have a great response to it. But the idea of this being the COVID draft, and it was so deep, and there were so many sort of six-year seniors available that it really pushed down the talent to where, you know, I was on uh, – yesterday I was on Afternoon Drive with Dustin Fox. We had Ian Fitzsimmons on from ESPN Radio. And Ian had done the draft from Vegas and, and was talking to a lot of the, the NFL folks out there. And they just thought there was just incredible value in the later rounds of this draft. And Perrion Winfrey is a guy who probably should have gone earlier. Jerome Ford is a guy who probably could have gone two rounds earlier in a different draft. And, and you heard Andrew say after the draft that they felt like the middle rounds uh, were sort of the sweet spot. The Colts GM, Chris Ballard, said, told their media the same thing. He felt like the middle rounds is really where the value was at. And I think it's all of these factors coming together the last couple of years um, to, to to make guys, push guys into positions that they normally wouldn't be at. And and so that would make you even say even more, boy, that Martin Emerson pick was a little bit of a head scratcher. If you go off our Dane Brugler, it was a bit of a head scratcher for where he had him ranked. Yeah, hundred uh, spots, hundred spots. Yeah, off, right. But it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a corner with size, with length, with long arms, and and I'm just going to defer to the Browns who studied this for a year and know a hell of a lot more about Martin Emerson than I do. Uh, <laughs> that there, there's a reason that they went and got him. So you won't get any argument from me on the thought that Cade York could be the most important pick, right? I think it's a little hot takeish to say it is, but when you look at where the Browns are and where they think they can be as early as eight months from now, Jason, right? Then, like, I think it's easy to say that. And, um, yes, it's early for a kicker. I mean, it's 25 spots ahead of where McPherson went last year, and, you know, it, it's hard to expect anybody to be that good, right? Um, but, like, you know, if you think you're good, you get the guy. If you think that he's taking him, it doesn't matter if it's 124 or 108 or 88, right? You, you, you go get him. And this team has needed a kicker. It has been a revolving door of mediocrity since Phil Dawson left, and that was a damn decade ago. And, you know, you you 
this was not new. This was not something that they waded into lightly. So you judge the guy's leg strength. You judge the guy's makeup. You know, however else you evaluate kickers, I don't know. I've I've watched the same shitty ones you guys all have for 10 years, <laughs> right? Um, and you think he can do this because you – Evan McPherson changed the Bengals. Um, the other three teams in the division, and Andrew Barry will never say that, that he's building a team based on what they have, but if he's not, he's, he's not doing his team a service. I mean, three of the best six kickers in the league are in the AFC North. And it's why is it valued? Because of the weather. Because you know you're going to be in close competitive games. You know, the Ravens ran out of dudes last year. But if had they snuck in the playoffs, it would have been because Justin Tucker made some bombs early in the year. I mean, over the course of his career. Now, Justin Tucker is the greatest to ever do it. And probably the only kicker in our time that we're going to see going Canton, right? But, like, um, 75% of Justin Tucker is really good. And, like, you don't need to be Evan McPherson if you're Cade York. But the Browns need that weapon. And I was it you or someone else that asked Stefanski about um, – you know, his strategy changing based on trusting his kicker. Uh, no, I mean, I said, I was talking about that yesterday in the radio, but I did not ask okay, Kevin you, about that. You waded into it in your article a little bit and, you know, someone asked him something along those lines. And I, I mean, I think it's, I, I think that answer, I guess, is, is my way of transitioning this back to you. That sums it up. We're way early with this, with all this talk, but it's a fair question. I mean, when you know your guy can't make, it does change the strategy. Last year, I mean, when the Browns were shitty, but still in playoff contention, when McLaughlin was missing extra points, that was changing shapes of games, right? When it was hard for them to score. So when you have that luxury and it can change the way you think, um, it's a game-to-game basis. It's way down the road. But, like, when you trust your guy, everything changes, and the Bengals are a great example of that. So the Browns missed the playoffs last year because of two primary reasons. They need a better quarterback play, and they needed a better kicker. And they've now gone and upgraded both of those spots. And if you look at, I mean, I, I ran the numbers. 23% of games last year were decided by, actually, you ran the numbers for me. 23% of games last year were decided by three points or less. And this is the trend that keeps ticking up. So on average, every team will have about four games decided by their kicker. And the Browns last year had five. And it was the last three games that mattered. The, the second Ravens game the Raiders and the Packers, and they lost two of those. And if they win one of those, two of those, you know, they, they were all right there. And and this team, for as much as went wrong and for as much as we bombed the quarterback play and everything else, they still weren't very far off from the playoffs. And they have a better kicker. They probably make the playoffs. And I absolutely agree with you. If you have a kicker you trust, it changes your play calling. One million. I mean, th- go back to the Green Bay game last year on Christmas Day when that was the game, I believe, that McLaughlin missed, right? And they had Chris Blewett in there. You really think Kevin at any point was going to trust this this dude who just walked in off the street to make an important kick? There's no way. Like I promise you that they went into the, that the drive. I can't, it's fogging out of me, but the drive toward the end of the game, they needed six. There's no way they were gonna they were gonna kick a three. And and you know I would even take it a step further. If you have confidence in your kicker, doesn't that change your play call on third and eight from the 34, 35? It sure, if you, it, it if sure you can, have, yes. Yeah, if you have if you have confidence that you've got a guy who can bang it through from 51, 52 yards, and Cade York's leg, is he's got a massive leg. He's got a ton of confidence. Everybody wants to talk about the fog kick, and I think it's great. I, I love the, the fact that he ran down the field doing the chomp after as a sophomore. And, you know, he said, I was reading where he said, like, yeah, the whole, my whole thought process going into that was I really want to do the chomp, so I'm going to make this kick so I can run down the field doing the chomp in the swamp. And and there was uh, something else I read where he was at one of those kicking academies and they had that track man there. And it's those things that can track your golf swing, which, God forbid, anyone ever tracks mine with the, with the track man and, and baseball distances. It measures distances. And he was banging kicks that would have been good from from 71. Now, obviously, it's it's prime conditions. There's no rush coming. You know, it's off a tee or I don't know if it was off a hold or off a tee, but right. Uh, you're not expecting him to make 71 yard kicks in a game, but the point is leg leg strength is not a problem with this guy. And uh, if, if you don't, you know, Dustin and I were going back and forth yesterday and Dustin hated it and said, kickers are 50, 50, if they work out or not. Well, that's any draft pick. Sure. You don't have a kicker. You go get a kicker. And this was the one spot in the draft where they were able to get the number one guy on their board at that position. They felt like Cade York was the best kicker in this draft. So you go get him until you find a kicker. If this doesn't work in two years, 
you cut him and you go draft another one. You just keep drafting him. You keep shooting. It's to me, it's no different than quarterback. You keep shooting until you get one. No, I agree. And and neither of us being technical kicking experts, I can say the best way to eventually navigate these wins is to just have enough leg to to figure it out, right? Like to to put it up there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, Phil Dawson as as he got older, he his leg did get stronger. But he just was a master of of the chip shots, the bunker shots, the the trick shots, right? Um, but the first thing is, you know, just being able to do it and, and having that swag. And I trust that the Browns, um, you know, did their research on on his makeup and everything. Um, Winfrey, you know, he's another guy that's fifty spots past his value, and that usually means that that he's either completely overrated or there was some issue there. You know, I've asked some people about him. Um, he is very explosive. He's just very raw. So. We'll see. I mean, the Browns trust Chris Kiffin, their defensive line coach. They were afraid they were going to lose him actually early in the year. He he went and joined his brother's staff and then changed his mind. But, um, you know, Winfrey is just – some will tell you he's just not very good. He's he's just an athlete, and some will tell you he's just raw and, and can get in there. And, um, you know, the Browns value pass rush. Um, I'm not sure – it's just not refined in his pass rush. He did get there. So um, – you know, certainly anytime you see a guy that had a second round grade and Dane wasn't the only one, Daniel Jeremiah also, um, one of the other draft Knicks had him, had Winfrey in the high forties or low fifties. So to get him early on Saturday made sense. And it always felt like the Browns weren't, you know, if you just look at what they've done at D tackle, A, it's not much and B, um, they waited. So it always made sense that they'd go to the other positions first. So yeah, um, my thing with Martin Emerson and Troy Hill here before I give one general draft thought, you know, I, I don't know what's – there had to be a reason that they got rid of Troy. And I know that he was going into his last year here, and I know that, the, that it actually marks progress because this is what good teams do. They get rid of a player a year too early instead of a year too late. But getting rid of him now does not make you better, Jason, because they don't have a true slot corner on this team. And I know Greg Newsom can do it, and they think Greg Newsom can do anything. I don't think you drafted Greg Newsom to be your slot corner. And Emerson at six foot two, there just aren't six foot two slot corners. So he can do it in a pinch, right? Just seems like, I mean, he's 21. He had one interception. I know he he fits all their physical trademarks, athletic testing and, and length and all of that. I'm not sure what you can count on there. So the thinking is that, you know, Greedy won't be here anymore past this year, that, that Emerson will learn and that eventually, you know, his he, he will catch up to his traits and he will be a good player. And that might be right. Um but the thought that you can never have too many corners rings a little hollow when the first thing you do is trade Troy Hill for a fifth-round pick. I mean, how many fifth-round picks do we need? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, just to, to, to that point, I mean, there's not there's they drafted nine guys. You really think all nine of these guys can make the team? I don't. No, no. No. At least three of them aren't making the team, barring something crazy. So... <laughs> While you mentioned the fifth round, let's let's jump to Jerome Ford because that was a curious pick to me. Uh, I wasn't expecting them to take a running back. I had said early in the offseason, you know, I just kind of floated the idea, maybe do you look at trading Kareem Hunt this offseason? He had the injury problems last year. He doesn't have a lot of mileage on him because of the time he missed in Kansas City. He's only, I think, 27, 28 maybe, somewhere in there. And, and so – you don't think he would be breaking down yet, but he is going to the last year of his deal. And I just kind of floated the idea, maybe trade Kareem Hunt. And people went crazy and told me I was an idiot. And I said, okay, fine. Hey, you're, you're an um, idiot, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Two things can be true. I can be an idiot. The Browns might still be considering. This, this is right. Tra- no, this is right. Two things can be true. <laughs> so, so are, are these at all related? Were you, were you surprised by the Ford pick? And the, does that, is that at all tied to Kareem's future. We just got them talking about Troy Hill and the fact they moved off him a year too early and a year too late. I look at it as it's funny because you said at the draft, Browns are trying to win a Super Bowl, and I 1 million percent agree with you. That's true. And Troy Hill probably brings back himself, brings better value than a fifth-round pick, just like Kareem himself would bring better value than anything they would get for him. But I think an analytic way to look at this is we only have a year left on this guy's contract. He's not going to be here past this time move him now and get something for him rather than losing him for nothing. Yeah. So this is a hard one to read and I'm not going to claim that I can, but um, Kareem is entering the last year of his contract and Kareem makes money. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, not a ton, but in the Browns have it, but he makes money. Dearness Johnson does not have a contract. Dearness Johnson thinks he should have a contract. He hired Drew Rosenhaus. 
Um, and Dearness Johnson has shown that he is an NFL running back, right? And and in this system, maybe a good one. I, you know, there was no restricted offer for him because teams don't value running backs. And here's what makes this extra curious, Jason, right? As we go here, um, we now have three off seasons of, of Barry. And there are things you can trust with the age and the draft, right? And, and the putting the premium on certain positions. But, like, if you're running a straight analytics premium positions, you know, running backs doesn't come up in that, right? Those are supposed to be the most expendable guys in modern football. The Browns pay guards. Like, that's out of the box, too. So, yes, I was surprised on the Ford pick. Um, clearly, they like the player. But it does – it doesn't create a log jam. It adds to a log jam. So, right. um, you know, it feels like the shift is away from multiple tight ends and having to run it first. But when you have this log jam at running back, I don't know. So, yeah, I think although it's hard to imagine any running back, Kareem or Dearness is who I'm mentioning here, um, having trade value that really impacts the Browns, um, it does – it does everything does point to one of those guys being moved. So I can take a wild guess and think that maybe there's a player for player trade out there somewhere. Um, I can take a less wild guess and think the strategy is just like it is with Baker. Some team is going to lose its running back or number two running back in the preseason and panic. And then the Browns will move one of those guys. Um, but yeah, the, 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 when you take, Ford there and you say we can, and he can he has a skill set that would say he can come out of the bullpen for this offense and that he can be a guy who can stick around for a couple of years um then yes it's it's looking like they're not all going to be here so the thing with trading trading Kareem Hunt and this was a little bit of the case with Odell last year although the injury made it more complicated there is no way that you're getting value back that even comes close to matching the value that Kareem Hunt gives you for this team Right. So Kareem wasn't healthy last year and a lot went wrong and whatever. But Jason, name the five guys that are most fun to watch play. Name the five guys that absolutely lay it on the line every single play. The third quarter in week one, the fourth quarter in week seven. Right. He blocks, he catches passes. His skill set with Deshaun Watson, you would think would be a perfect match. Right. Um, the, you know, I, I just, the Browns don't get better if they move Kareem Hunt. And, for a running back that makes $6 million and is only under contract for one year, I don't see a team giving up a second-day draft pick for him outside. So I just can sum that up by saying it feels like a move is coming, but it's a head-scratcher either way. See, I, I thought maybe they could get a third for him. You're saying no because he's got a year left on his deal and running backs aren't valued. But I do believe Hunt is get, between Hunt and Dearness Johnson, Kareem's going to bring you more value probably just on name and production. And, and Dearness, to me, fits the better role of the backup uh, than, than Kareem does. Because, I mean, let's be honest, for a variety of reasons, the Kareem-Nick Chubb pairing hasn't worked the way that we thought it would. I mean, they've been on the field together. I think it's less than 30 games. And the whole time Kareem has been here, and injuries have a lot to do with that. And Freddie, for all of his faults, he did figure out a way to get them both on the field at the same time. But it just hasn't looked like what we thought it that it would. And when you have Deshaun in here now, when you have an electrifying quarterback who can make plays down the field, you think it feels like more than what you need in that backfield. And that's that's just why I it listen, if, if the best you can get is for Kareem is a fifth, then I'm keeping Kareem Hunt. I'm not trading him for a fifth round pick because like you said, oh, these guys love fifth, fifth round picks. picks. <laughs> these guys love fifth round picks. Um, but but it, it's got to be. I mean, if 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 I could get a third for Kareem Hunt, I'm having that conversation and I'm listening. I think just because and and also I I, I do think we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. We got to get Jerome Ford into camp and see what he can do, and and see what he looks like in the preseason. And you know, yeah. It, but you know what they're saying on that, Jason is. I mean, this is a guy that played at Alabama that was a feature back at two years for Cincinnati team that played in huge games. He was so you don't think there's any question about what he can do. No, they're it's cut and dry. This is a yes. They drafted him because they they love what he can do. Yes. So, and, um, and just cutting Dimitri Felton doesn't solve this, right? Or does it? Can you carry four if you just cut Felton? No. Well, Felton's fifth right now if you count Dearness. So some some move is coming. Like, like I said, and I didn't before I started into that diatribe. I didn't think of the player for player trade that they might have lined up somewhere. But they but but it could be it could be that. So. You know, I, I'll just say this here, um, I, and I write this all the time, and I say this all the time. 
the Browns are not going to nail every pick. They're not going to nail every player value. And, you know, they're going to do head-scratching things, right? But there's always going to be a plan behind it. There never is Andrew Barry going to get a call at 359 and make a trade at 403. No, he's going to get a call at 359 and he's going to make the trade three Tuesdays from now. Right? <laughs> They're going to go over everything. Like Quasi, yeah. who's hilarious, um, was making that 2026 comment in a comfortable environment on the Browns radio show as he was going out the door, but it was rooted in truth. Say right? that again like, because you mentioned that at the combine too, and I don't remember this whole story now. Yeah, he, he basically said, you know, it was just a conversation about thankful to Andrew for giving him a chance and bringing him here and whatever. And he's like, yeah, you know, I love that dude. I'm, I'm mostly going to miss the midnight text about a 2026 seventh round pick scenario. <laughs> so, <laughs> And then they got together you know, and made a trade on draft night. The two of Yes. Them. Yeah. And the first thing Quasi did was trade, you know, so. He made a ton um, of trades. That's how it goes. All right. So I want to make two draft points here um, and then we can talk schedule or something else because like I said, until we see these guys, um, you know, there's not a whole lot we can we can say. Um, Shield, our colleague, is big on this, and a lot of people are big on this. And to a larger point, I agree. Good teams don't draft for need, right? Barry said it. Competition drives everything. What you need today isn't what you need tomorrow, and that that can be true 12 months of the year, and it certainly can be true in the season as guys get hurt and guys underperform, and, and circumstances for your team change, right? So that being said, of course you draft for need, right? Because like you you have needs and you have a roster that you're trying to win now. So marrying that balance is hard. And the Browns, you know, at this point before the draft and before Clowney could run out 22 starters and be a good team. Could it could it be a great team without some of those things resolved? You know, I don't know. Um, I do think part of their thinking and trading down this year and part of what comes off as arrogance to me, quite frankly – is that they believe they hit two home runs last year with Greg Newsom, who's 22 years old, and Jeremiah Wosukormo, who's 22 years old. And they're like, we, we can draft for depth. We can draft away from our um, needs and just get good players and keep them in the bullpen. And, and that might totally pay off down the road. So um, we'll see. That, that's the marriage there. And then the other thing that you're marrying here is value matters. In, in, in the draft, right? And Andrew Barry, one of his mentors is Howie Roseman, who's now made over 40 trades during the draft in 10 years running the Eagles. Just that's what he does. And Andrew Barry every year has traded down in the middle rounds for a mid-round pick for the next year. That's not coincidence, that strategy. You know, this year he flipped 44 into 68 and two fourth rounders. He flipped another fourth rounder into a fifth for next year. He, he took a guy in Troy Hill who had a starting position on this team because slot corner is a starting position in today's NFL and turn it into a fifth-round pick. So there's that's how they're going to run drafts, and there is that. But then the question of value is also, when you're trying to win the Super Bowl, how many fucking fifth-round picks do you need? <laughs> right? And I'm not being a curmudgeon with that. I'm not being anti-analytics at all. I'm just asking a valid question, right? Like, okay, you know, the, you're, you're drafting depth and good players here, but, like, how many of those do you really need? And, and how many times – you know, passing on guys that we know. And so it was names that we knew. You know, David Ojabo and George Pickens are brand names for if you follow the draft. They're huge names if you follow college football. And they played positions that have the, the Browns were the top needs, right? Ojabo obviously has the injury. The Ravens have a connection to him, having hired the new defensive coordinator from Michigan. The Ravens head coach, his brother is the head coach at Michigan. Um, you let the Ravens have David Ojabo. No, a lot of teams were down on George Pickens. He had a lot of shithead incidents, including just a week before the draft where he was a passenger in a car accident and walked away from it at four in the morning, which is a no-no. Um, it was you know, nothing criminal from what I understand on his record, but a long line of incidents on and off the field where teams kind of questioned his decision-making. He came off as you know, a little entitled, um, and that's fine. The Browns didn't want that. The Browns got a good player in David Bell, right? But nobody drafts receivers like the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they got George Pickens because they said he's big and fast and probably the next in line of their big and fast receivers. So, again, th these are questions that are going to be, um, you know, not answered for years down the road. Uh, and, and we will see, you know, how that all turns out. But um, as much as I say how many fifth-rounders do you need, I will present the flip side like this, Jason. Everybody's lauding the Jets. And I, Joe Douglas comes from the Ravens tree. 
And, you know, I think we'll do a good job there given time. And everybody's like, wow, they knocked it out. And it sure looks like they did. But when you have picks four and 10 and you trade back for 23, aren't you supposed to knock it out <laughs> right? Yeah. with players that everybody knows? Like, yeah. so, so it, it's, it, it's totally cliche to say at least two and three years down the road to grade a draft class. And it's totally cliche to say inside 32 draft rooms, everybody gives themselves an A, right? We just don't know. And that doesn't move needles in our hot take society. And it doesn't make this podcast any more interesting, frankly, right? So I just say, I don't know how many fifth round picks the Browns need or why they insist on doing it. But I do think they're still in good hands. And we'll see how this draft class turns out. I mean, as much as they hit those home runs last year with those guys, there is a chance that Andrew Barry's first offseason was shitty. And that could show itself here this year. So um, none of these guys, except David Bell to me, are going to be day one um, players. I, I guess well, York is, right? But of the 22. Um, I won't be surprised if Bell's the only one, but that doesn't mean that by October, November, certainly December, that these guys won't be playing. And, and if Winfrey and Emerson are, are big-time com- contributors by the end of the season, I won't be stunned. Okay, so now that we're through the draft, Judavian and Jarvis, both back, both gone, one back, one gone. I mean, if they really wanted Jarvis guys, they'd have done it long ago. That's just what I think. Um, I, I just – you know, he's he's taken other visits. The Browns put out that huge statement and everything thanking him. They've been in contact with the agent. Like, I just – I think the Browns are interested in Jarvis at, like, a minimum contract, and Jarvis wants more than that. And I just don't think it's going to happen, and I think David Bell made that less likely. I think Jadavian has always been likely. I think it's necessary, quite frankly. Um, I understand the trepidation in paying a 29-year-old Jadavian Clowney $12 million a year. But, I mean, look at what you did for Deshaun Watson and look where you think your team is. Aren't they so much scarier with Jadavian Clowney than without? Yeah, and I've been down on the Clowney signing all along, and even I have to concede that one. Yeah, so. At this point, you got to go get him, I think, because you didn't take I, an edge rusher in the second round. You don't. Ha- who's your starter? If it's not Clowney, sure. who's your starter at that spot? Sure. Like, Alex Wright is a traits guy. He's a 21-year-old from UAB, right? Like, um, the Browns don't play Jacksonville State and Rice in September. They play the Bills <laughs> and the Ravens, okay? Like, you need Jadavian Clowney. I mean, last year we didn't have full camp restrictions like the year before, Jason, but we had a little bit. And remember when we'd stand outside the gate and the defensive line would be way on the opposite corner? Who did you see over there? Clowney and Garrett? Were they yeah. the two fastest dudes in the line too? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, how do you keep Lamar Jackson from lighting you up? Because obviously you can't guard Mark Andrews. That's been proven. (laughs) (laughs) Right? How do you keep that from happening? Well, Wusukormo hits him in the ankle. That helps. But like those two guys, right? Like you play Josh Allen next year. You 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 might you're thinking you're going to play Josh Allen twice. Like you need those guys. Clowney is not a perfect player, and I understand there's risk with given his injury history. But he's so good against the run. He is the perfect complement to Miles Garrett. And when he is engaged, give me 50% of Jadavian Clowney. Give me Jadavian Clowney busting his ass 50% of the time. I, I, I mean, I'm thinking in 18 and 20 games here, guys. I'm not worried about week four. I'm not. Uh, okay, let's move off the draft for just a minute because I I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, the... The suspension Major League Baseball handed down to Trevor Bauer. Does that impact? Should the Browns be scared? I wondered the same thing, and I don't know that. Uh, But I would say you were in the room, too, when Goodell gave his presser, his Mm non-answer at the owners' meetings about Deshaun. The one thing he said, or two things he said, the investigation is ongoing. And now that the criminal part is over, you know, we feel like it will open some more doors. So if the NFL's investigation and ruling, I guess, more than the investigation is truly independent of the outcome of the criminal cases, which we, we believe to be fully resolved, and the civil cases, which we know are all still pending, then there could be some worry there that, that this could be a longer suspension. Um we have reported, both of us, right, that the Browns have a quiet, cautious optimism that it will only be four or six games. Um, 
there is some uncertainty that, that it will come at all this year, even though the Browns' actions would point to that it is. And I think the NFL historically has wanted to get these things resolved sooner than later. But yes, when you see that and you match it to what we know, that it is truly independent of the timing, because that's what's going on now. There's there's jostling in the courtroom, right, um, on the timing of these suits. Watson's cases, Watson's side is saying we're definitely not dealing with any of these during football season. So, yeah, um, without giving a definite yeah or saying it's totally sound the alarm, I think that is that is probably a real concern, uh, at least on some level. And I, that's a good segue to get back to. I know there's Baker fatigue, and I know you don't you're tired of talking about Baker, and there's nothing new. But this this idea that they should hold on to Baker because they may need him next year, I think, is ludicrous. Baker Mayfield's not going to take another snap for the Browns. He's not coming back in the building, guys. It's fantasy land now. It's fantasy land now, and things do change in the NFL. But Odell quit the team. The Browns are not signing him back. Throw that headline away. Yeah. The Browns needing Baker because Deshaun's going to get suspended. Throw that headline away. That's reality. The Browns broke up with Baker when they got on the flight to Houston, and it only got worse from there, right? The the Browns have moved on with this three-person quarterback room with Jacoby Brissett as the insurance option. So a mad, mad, mad scramble could happen. But the Browns are not going to have Baker back in the building. He is not in the plans. He is rehabbing his shoulder. He will be excused from mandatory minicamp, which is still six weeks from now. It's a long time from now. If he could be traded by then, and he's not, it's it's not, guys. There's nothing new to report on on Baker. So, um, and, and frankly, I'm guilty of it too. When I do my last draft wrap up article here later today or early tomorrow, that's going to be a part of it because he's a guy on the team that makes 19 million, right? And and it's a, a piece they can move for in in some regard. But there's nothing new to report. Um, the Browns wanted somebody to want Baker Mayfield. It wasn't ever going to happen. The Browns knew that. Baker's side probably knew that too. Although, you know, people insist that he thought he was he could schmooze his way to Indy, and Indy laughed at that thought. Um, but some team will need him. Here's what I'm, I'm, I'm exploring writing this. I don't know that we're there yet today, but I think it's coming sooner than later. And I don't even know if I've asked you this off the air, but – are we getting to the point where, I mean, in my eyes, the draft is the best opportunity to trade them and nothing got done. Are we reaching the point where they, where they need to just release him and do right by him and give him the opportunity? If they wait until training camp and wait for an injury to trade him, no. they've just sunk him because now he has no time to go in and, and, and learn a system. They've totally screwed him. So no, is the, They did right by him when they picked up that fully guaranteed option. They did. That's it. They That's did. It. That's fair. That's true. So, so they, you, you don't think we've reached? We're reaching the point where they need to just release him. Not anywhere close. Not okay. till the trade deadline. Okay. No way. They if they are haggling over compensation with Carolina, then why would they do? You know, if if they release him, then they pay seventeen and a half million dollars. They still swallow seventeen and a half million on their cap, and he goes somewhere else and plays for the plays for the minimum and gets to choose, like. The most likely scenario is some team either loses its quarterback or gets through the spring and says, boy, these rookies aren't ready, or boy, this this ex-player is not fit for this new system. And that team trades the Browns a fifth-round pick for Baker and a seven, and the Browns pay 12 of the 19. And when does that happen? It's going to be. July? Well – in the scenario I just mentioned, it would be mid-June, but if you have to wait for training camp and an injury or an external underperformance, um, it could be August. It I, could can't, be I, can't recall, I can't recall a number of quarterback injuries in camp. No, no, there aren't. Um, you know, Tampa has a new head coach, and they have guys behind Brady that aren't very good, right? Um, Detroit has – Baker would probably be the number one quarterback in Detroit, but you know Jared Goff's dealing with a forty million dead cap number, so um, you know Baker would definitely be the best player in Atlanta. But they're going with Mariota and they drafted Desmond Ritter. I mean, Atlanta's playing for next year, right? Um, you know, 
Baker would probably Baker better than Drew Locke. Yes, he absolutely is. But Seattle's like, well, we're probably not going to be very good this year. And the best thing we can do is let Drew Locke play and find out because he's still young. You know, came in the league too early, got put in a bad spot, has failed. And he makes no money. Drew Locke is on a, a fourth-year rookie deal of a second-round player. Like, nothing. He makes nothing. So, you know, why, why would they do that when they're, again, you know, playing for the future? So, quarterbacks generally do not get hurt in the preseason, and it would be a nightmare scenario if one did. Um I think what we've done so far is we've looked at the starting situations. I think the backup situations will evolve. And then it just comes down to, like, and thank you guys for listening, what I've been telling you guys since last year. He's a pain in the ass. Yes. And teams know it. It's not just the play. It's the deal. It's everything. When your quarterback, when you as an organization have to stop everything you're doing, when your quarterback goes to the podium for his 10 minutes with the media, then you've got a big problem. When you have to worry about after practice, that quarterback going on social media or going out partying during COVID or all of these things that Baker participated in, that's bad. This is not looking at a free agent linebacker or tight end and saying, you know, that guy fits easily in the bottom of our room and might be in the middle of the room by the end of the summer. That's not how it works, a quarterback. It's a totally different dynamic. So it will evolve. He will have a job. He can play quarterback in this league. He can win games in this league. He can't win a Super Bowl. He can win games in this league. I mean, Barry doesn't answer questions and always comes with a few canned answers. And that presser the week before the draft, when he said, I can't predict the future and two different times, he alluded to five, six, seven months from now. Like, that's what he's saying. We have until the trade deadline. And the Browns will just excuse him. It will not be a distraction internally. It will not. Trust me, in that building, they're they're way more worried about the suspension and protesters at camp than they are about Baker's just not coming in the building. And in two-second phone call, they can handle that with Baker's agents. And it will be a headline outside, but it will affect nothing that goes on in those meetings on that practice field, anything. No, it's not happening. I, I agree with that. I like I, They don't want him. The guys in the locker room didn't want him, didn't care for him, won't be missed. Right. And I don't, I don't think that there's this thing I, I don't feel like there's a cloud hovering over that team because of the Baker situation. I think it's something we talk about and they talk about when we ask them about it. That's that's exactly right, Jason. That is exactly right. Yeah. Um. And it's a and it's a fair talking point because he's on the roster. Right. Because he makes nineteen million. He was he was the number one pick in the draft. He was your savior three off seasons ago. Right. And now you couldn't get rid of him soon enough. Yeah. That's just how it goes. Um. One more thing to that on like on Kareem Hunt in the running back situation. Yeah. If there is a suspension and if Jacoby Brissett has to play more than two games, then the Browns are going to have to run the shit out of the ball. Yeah. So, you know, Drew Rosenhaus and Dearness Johnson might come and say, um, we want all this money. And Dearness might not come to camp because he's a rare guy that doesn't have to. He doesn't have a contract right now. Yeah. Um, but as for everybody else, like, you know, you still this is about making the playoffs. It's it's you'd love to win the division, you'd love to be the number one seed. And and as I've been saying, this these Browns could win twelve or they could win seven. I mean, they could be the AFC's number one seed. I, I don't think that's out of the question. But it's really about getting to the playoffs. And if Brissett has to play more than a couple of games, then you are going to have to be a very button down offense and a very different offense than what you eventually hope to be. And that should include Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Um, doing a lot of the heavy lifting and, and, you know, then turning it over to the defense. I just like everything we've said here, why wouldn't this team want Jadavian Clowney? This team needs Jadavian Clowney. So if Clowney goes elsewhere, or if I'm wrong, I'm not going to kill him. The season's not over. You just cannot present me a scenario where the Browns are better without Jadavian Clowney than they are with him. That's fair. I want to ask you, I know this is the civilized barking Browns podcast, but I do want to ask you about, the Pittsburgh quarterback situation while we're talking about quarterbacks. Were you surprised by the Kenny Pickett pick? And and also, did they pull a fast one on Mitch Trubisky? And do you think Mitch Trubisky is a little aggravated today? I think he went to Pittsburgh thinking he was going to be the starter. Now, there's a pretty good chance he's not. Yeah, but he signed a contract that said they weren't married to him. That was a very temporary relationship. And they were giving Mitch the chance to show that he can play. Um, and their thought, you know, I think Mitch is a little bigger than Pickett. Not much, but they they had no mobility from the quarterback spot. Negative mobility. I mean, mm-hmm. Ben was built like me, right? And we're the same age too. Um, <laughs> like, 
they they think that 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 Mitch can open things up with with the way he can run the ball and the way he can throw on the run, and they think Kenny Pickett's similar. Um, I think they still plan to start Mitch Trubisky. Um, you know, I haven't talked to Kaboli about it, uh, our our Pittsburgh writer, but but Jim Wexel, who I have known for years and has covered the Steelers for as long as I've been alive, he thinks the plan is for Kenny Pickett to be number three this year. Wow. Um, they, I was surprised only, only by the fact that it, an outgoing GM was making a quarterback pick. I thought they would take a defensive lineman and then see what happened in the later rounds with the quarterbacks. You know, they that, linked. don't you think they let Tomlin make that pick? They might have. And I, I don't think it's, you know, the guy was in your building for five years. So, right. you know, everything there is to know about him, his makeup, his accuracy, his faults, everything, and the small hands. And, you know, I don't think anybody thinks that Kenny Pickett is Joe Burrow. But obviously the Steelers think, look, we have to have a guy. And this, this guy with, with our defense and, and the way we've won games for years gives us a chance to win. You know, there there's just no scenario where the Steelers were going to be 3-14 um, and 14 this year and, and be picking C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. You know, you, you have to realize that. So I, I, they're paying Trubisky next to nothing. They love Kenny Pickett's makeup, and they think that he will be a fit. I mean, Pitt and the Steelers share the same building, guys. Like, share it. Um, Not the same neighborhood, the same building. So they think it's a seamless transition and that he'll be ready and eventually can help them win games. They might be wrong on that, but I don't think Trubisky was done wrong at all. And the the other thing you can do in this trade-happy NFL, too, is if Kenny Pickett's ready to play in week six, Trubisky might have value somewhere. And then you've, you know, taken a guy – Paid him a discount rate, gave him a shot, and moved him for something else, and you move along. So, I, I'm not saying I love the pick because I don't think that that Kenny Pickett is nearly as talented as the other AFC North quarterbacks. But in a beggars can't be choosers situation, I I don't hate the pick, and I think the Steelers, you know, I don't think they're true Super Bowl contenders right now, but I think they're just fine. And I I know that nobody in the AFC North wants to play them, and the Browns certainly don't want to play them during a Watson suspension. Uh, so we've, I mean, we already touched on the Steelers a couple of times with the Pickens and, and the Pickett pick, but just your quick thoughts on the rest of the AFC North draft classes in Baltimore and Cincinnati. Yeah. I mean, Baltimore hit with guys that everybody knows proven college players. And like when Ravens draft a safety, you just say Canton, right? Like that's just <laughs> what you say. So they, they got the best punter in the draft. Uh, they're moving on from Sam Cook after like 25 years. Like the Ravens are going to be right back. They're they're going to be fine, and they have a receiver question now. But as they totally robbed Arizona blind, but but Marquise Brown was a game changing player because he has you know legit top end speed. So we will see what happens there. But the Ravens certainly got better, uh, and they have some awkwardness with with Lamar and that contract situation. And trading Lamar's one of his good friends, so we'll see. But. Um, I've thought all along that the Ravens would be the favorite to win the division before and before uh, the Watson trade was made when the markets opened, Jason, the Ravens were the favorite to win the division, um, you know, despite being in fourth place last year. And the Bengals, you know, they they have attacked the offensive line in free agency and they drafted some young DBs who can help them. They they really are confident and their offense will only get better. I mean, Burroughs played a season and a half. They have a young coaching staff. They have all, all sorts of guys who got big game experience. So, you know, did a bunch of things happen, fortunately, for them to make the run they made last year? Yes. But are they bringing back the absolute core of that team um, and only getting better on the offensive line and having a defense that's really good uh, and came together at the right time last year? Sure. So um, there are three teams that can win the AFC North. And there are three teams in the AFC North that can win the AFC. So when this schedule comes out next Thursday, you know, hug your Falcons game and your Panthers game. <laughs> um, because, look, even the Jets now, right? Like, that's a second-year quarterback. If he if he gets confident, uh, you know. Um, somebody on Twitter named him Mormon Manziel when he was in college. And that's – I can't even think of his real name. I just want to call him Mormon Manziel. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Um, but you know, they got Garrett Wilson, like, look, the Browns are going to have a handful of, what I'm saying is the Browns are going to have a handful of games they should win. And even if they play during a suspension, but if this suspension is six games and the Browns playing division games during that time, 
are playing the Buffalo Bills, New England Patriots, Tampa Bay Bucks during that time. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not sure the Browns will be a playoff team. I'm, I, I don't, I don't know that. So I, it's fun, frankly, saying that, that they could win seven or they could win 12. The schedule's fun and it's complicated because we don't know about the suspension and we don't know how the NFL is going to handle that. Every AFC North game, almost every AFC game involving the Browns period could be, you know, a huge marquee game. Tampa coming here could be a Sunday night, Monday night type game, but how are they going to handle it? I don't know. I mean, the one thing, Atlanta's a Sunday one o'clock game and probably at Houston is a Sunday one o'clock game because the NFL is going to want to not have any spotlight on that. Right. But you know, Bengals is at least one Bengals game is a Thursday night or a Sunday nighter. At least one Ravens game is a Sunday nighter or a Thursday nighter, you know, Monday nighter. Um, and you have a lot of games that could be slotted at 425 spotlight and then eventually could. There's Monday night flex this year. There's Sunday night flex starting in week six. Like this is a Buffalo game could be. I mean, I'm, I'm just spitballing here. Like it's going to be fun. It, it, the schedule's always fun even when the team's shitty. Right. But like as far as looking at the really big games and looking at the structure of it. And then another thing, which, you know, it's tiring being right all the time. This the bye week last year came at a bad time for the Browns. The Browns need their bye week in early November, not in early December, because man, they were limping to that thing last year. Yeah, that's a point we made multiple times. Uh last thing for me, I don't normally get as wrapped up in the schedule game as some other people do, but I do think it's it's it matters this year. And the fact that there could or there may or may not be a suspension coming, it matters when some of the the easier type games appear on the schedule. Do you think it's better off? I, for, I think it's a big assumption at this point to assume he's going to be suspended for the first four or five games. I just I, I don't know that we know that yet. But if he is, do you think it's better to have the easier games on the front end and give them to Jacoby Brissett? Or do you want them on the back end and, and just get some of the losses out of the way early? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to predict that because you don't know when injuries happen and teams evolve, right? And the trap game is a real concept in the NFL when, when tired teams and injured teams um, are looking and, and young teams are playing spotlight games and all of that. But, yeah, I mean, obviously you would like to see Houston, Atlanta, Washington early in the year. Either way, because your offense is going to need some time, right, to to evolve. So you, I think you would like to see those um, – those games where you're just clearly better than the other team and, and get a couple of those out of the way. Um, you know, when's a good time to play Bill Belichick? When's a good time to play Josh Allen? When's a good time to play the Ravens? You know, there's not the, so it, 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 the answer you always get from when you ask the GM or the coach or whomever is the schedule's a schedule and we look at it and, and we play the games and, and that's right. But, you know, we know there's going to be, an early season Thursday night game because it's just the Browns have geographic rivals and the Browns have appeal. Um, so when you have a Thursday night game, it, it changes your prep. It You get guys hurt the week before you're screwed and you get that little mini buy coming to the next week and you get a chance to refresh. And I think the numbers bear out that that is an advantage. So um, I did think of one we'll other see. thing I wanted to ask you uh, the fact they did not take a tight end. Can we officially say that the 13 package is dead? It doesn't look like they're replacing Austin Hooper. That's not a surprise to me. Uh, I, I didn't think that they were going to. I think the Watson arrival changed a lot of their offensive schemes. Uh, what say you? Yeah, I think the 13 is dead, but I, I still think they're going to need to shop for a tight end because they need like a battering ram type guy because mm-hmm. that's certainly not Harrison Bryant. He's improved mm-hmm. as a blocker and, and he's, you know, he is an average to above average NFL player. It's what he is. The Browns trust him. They like him. They're going to use him. You know, Njoku I think has come a long way as a blocker too, but he is not what Hooper was and, and you wouldn't use him in that way. You know, the Browns committed to David Njoku because they, they envision him getting to the second and third level of the defense. So um, I still think they're going to look for a veteran tight end. And, yeah, I mean, as you look at this draft class, you could say, hey, what what about a tight end or what about, uh, you know, even another defensive lineman earlier in the draft, something like that. But they didn't, and they have a lot, frankly, invested in Njoku and, and Brian, and they need those guys to play. So I think the next guy would be like a waiver wire claim or just a journeyman. I mean, they, they – they signed a college basketball player. I was going to ask you about that. Over the course of a couple of years. Do you know anything yeah. about him? 
Um, yeah, I mean, he he was he played at VCU and he played at Texas Tech. He was just a, a big body. Um, you know, they 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 actually in the undrafted class they signed a big tight end who had played D two here in Cleveland with my cousin at Notre Dame College. He went somewhere else. He went to FAU for his grad year. Um, you know, he's he's six six or six seven in two thirty, and there just aren't many of those guys on the planet. So they're going to try to develop those guys, but. Is Santos Silva, the college basketball player, anywhere near game ready? No. Um, and everybody's looking for Antonio Gates, obviously, right, who, who who did that. But the hit rate on these is about 9%. So, you know, good luck to Zaire Mitchell, who's coming in from the Browns to do that, and Santos Silva, who's a long-term project, and Nas Bohannon from, from Cleveland, who played basketball at Youngstown State and at Clemson, is getting a tryout with the Jaguars. Um, but the hit rate is very, very small on those guys. And I know – um, teams were after Nas last year, Jason, because you know he he had another he had a COVID year of college basketball and wasn't sure whether he was going to use it or not. And like that's the, that's the pursuit of tight ends is there you're always looking for these guys. So it's it's a fun story and it's a project that the Browns would like to see through for for past this year. But I I don't think that they ever envisioned him scoring a touchdown against the Ravens. Yeah, yeah. All right, wrap us up and get us out of here. Yeah, so again, uh, we will probably do a pod for the schedule because it is fun, and we will get suckered into hot takes and um, <laughs> jumping to conclusions and, and all of this stuff. But really, we're waiting on Clowney, and we're waiting on the suspension. Like, I, you know, um, Kevin, Kevin has been clear that there's value to the offseason program. Uh, it's still about three weeks away before they actually have practices. They, they do some time-restricted on-field work you know, with 10 or 12 guys at a time now. And it is important. I mean, Deshaun Watson hasn't played football in a year and a half. So that is important. Um, but the most important thing is having the guys in the building, in the meeting room, getting to know each other, getting to know their coaches and bonding. Um, you know, I think the most important thing we said in this podcast was, and, and this is something we have we have talked about and will continue to, as poorly as last year went, as bizarre as it got on multiple fronts, they were still right there and could have made the playoffs and maybe should have made the playoffs, right? So it is about team chemistry and injury luck and doing little things like converting one third down and making one field goal or extra point, right? And when you do that, you get in, and then it's always going to be about having that magical month that the Bengals and Rams just had. So um, the, the takeaway from the draft is the Browns think they're good enough to be able to draft a kicker, to be able to trade out of the second round to do all that. And we'll, and we'll see if they are um, starting in September. So thank you guys for listening. Talk to you next time on Civilized Brain.